This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And tomorrow is Father's Day. Thank you to Clayton for reminding me that I always like to remember specifically the boys who died at Normandy Beach on D-Day and others because my father fought in World War II, but he fought in the Pacific Theater and he came back to have nine children. But those many, many, many men who did not live enough long enough to have issue to have children uh, they are really I feel our fathers too and I always like to try to remember that and I know as a libertarian today what I'm talking about today is libertarianism it's fact and fiction whatever you uh, think about libertarian some is true some isn't I'm taking all calls 872-404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK but uh, one of the legitimate functions of government, uh, even for a libertarian, is national defense. And I nev- and we do not like wars of aggression. You cannot go out and invade another country for geopolitical reasons or to protect American interests abroad. No, but I never met anybody in the military who joined for wars of aggression. They join because they want to defend our liberties, our way of life. And these guys, the best of us, the strongest and bravest, a lot of time they're the young guys who don't live to have kids. So I try to remember them on Father's Day and uh, and try to repay the, our debt to them by defending liberty in my own way as a kind of pay it forward to my kids And I think a lot of, I think that's a majority sentiment in this country. And I think that a lot of people identify themselves as libertarians, but a far greater number of Americans just look to our founders, our founding principles as the American way that they do defend. I think those founders were libertarians, but not everybody agrees with that. And I want to talk about the nuances of that. I know I promised to tell you the story of my libertarian awakening to the point where I became an anarcho-capitalist, but I have a ton of really interesting calls about very vital issues. So I want to do the calls first. I'll put that, my own personal stuff, on the back burner for a little while. And I'm going to start with Charles in Illinois. Charles, you're on with Monica. Hi. Hi. Uh, I was on Facebook and replied to one of your emails. Yes, yes. I loved your reply. Tell me. uh, You said you wanted to have it on the air, so if you want, I could read it now. Well, yeah, you you can read it or say it in your own words. It's pretty short. Go for it. Okay, I'll read it. I am not pro drugs. I am anti drug war. I am pro military defense. I am anti-military aggression. I am for constitutions, re, or constitutional restraints of government. I am pro-free market. I am anti-government bailouts, grants, and loans to corporations. 
I am anti-federal control of educational standards, loans, and grants. I am pro-state educational standards, loans, and grants, and I am against victimless laws. Charles, very interesting. I want to point out two things. One is you point out that you are not pro-drugs, just against the drug war. That's a nuance that people don't understand, that we're not, libertarians aren't libertines. We're not all trying to get high all the time and just don't want the cops to hassle us. It's all the bad things that happen when you have that kind of control. But one thing that you said did cause a little bit of a stir on my Facebook page, which was that you don't want the feds involved in educational loans and stuff, but you do want the states involved. So how do you um, reconcile that with libertarian principles that the government really shouldn't do that stuff? With the Do you feel that it's a legitimate function of government to have education? That's a pretty old, I think even Adam Smith said that, and he was a kind of uh, proto-libertarian, I guess. Well, so you think that the state governments should provide educational loans? If you look at the constitutions of state governments, they mention education. The federal constitution doesn't. So the federal constitution is not supposed to be involved. State constitutions mention it, so the state cons- states should be involved because it's part of their constitution. I understand what you're saying, and actually the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which I mentioned earlier, of the United States Constitution, does reserve to, it has been ruled by the Supreme Court that, and it's self-evident, that it reserves to the states the police powers, which, it's a funny name for it, but it does include education. Now, I do not think of laws as as coming from constitutions, I think of like what I call the Rothbard's one law, Rothbard's only law. Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, said that law is self-evident. People say, well, who would make the laws? Or libertarian? I actually got a, a um, was it Facebook? I don't know what it was. It uh, Jim said, libertarians do not believe in laws or law enforcement, just natural law. But the natural law is, or the self-evident law is, don't touch me or my stuff. So I look at laws that are written down as a way to kind of secure that, to tease out the nuances of it. So just because a constitution says it doesn't mean I accept it as law. But there are constitutionalists. There's a constitutional party. I think Charles is probably a constitutionalist. I'm going to go to Daryl in Atlanta. Hi, Daryl. You're on with Monica. Hello, is it Bill? Uh, Dar- oh, sorry, is it Bill? Uh, you are on with Monica on the air. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a libertarian. I consider myself a libertarian. And I had a question for you, how you feel with regards to the federal government uh, in the realm of OSHA, EPA, FDA, uh, DOT, and you know what the federal government should, what type of role they should play in those arenas. I would say absolutely none. I view those all those regulations and I and I don't want to get into the state level, but let's just talk about the federal level. I look back at the progressive era where the so-called robber barons were peaking and I recall the quote by John D Rockefeller, it's attributed to him anyway, competition is a sin. 
at that time, there was something called the populist moment, a grassroots thing that was basically replaced by progressivism. And I think that under the guise of helping us, they put all these regulations in like OSHA, whatever, that benefit the big corporations by erecting these tremendous investments they have to make that keeps the little guy out. Do you follow what I'm saying? Well, I've been in the the health, safety, and environmental field for over 30 years, and I've seen the good, bad, and ugly in the industry. I've worked on the industry side for those 30 years, and I feel that if we don't, if the federal government does not have those regulations in place, and I've seen, you know, where organizations just flagrantly uh, disregard those regulations, how things can end up, such as super fun fights and, you know, the uh, people getting hurt at work and killed and maimed. And I've seen even new organizations and new companies still violating those laws. But, you know, you're saying that if, you know, they don't self-regulate and take care of these things, I mean, who's going to watch over and make sure they're doing the right thing? Well, there's th- this is going to be a, uh, a theme that I can't, answer in one minute it's going to go throughout this show there's real tensions about those kind of issues i'm going to try to just knock off your issues right now but there's bigger picture stuff i really want to get into throughout the show the first thing i would say is you said if the federal government wasn't involved we would have all sorts of problems lots and lots of countries have massive governments have huge centrally controlled governments have much less freedom than we do and they don't aren't safer Safety comes from wealth and prosperity. Our standards rise as our prosperity grows. So we demand it from the government, but we would just demand it from our employers anyway. And we would have the money, the resources to make those things a priority. It's called non-cash compensation. Safety at work would be something that came after like enough money for food. Because we have that richer society, it would naturally uh, grow a better environment for workers. Similarly, if you have some competition for your uh, workforce, uh, we tend to think of labor as just there's an endless supply of any kind of labor any company would ever want. So if left to their own devices, everybody would just get a penny an hour and, and the people who starve to death would just be pushed off to the side. It doesn't really work like that. There, there, we I would say our government contributes more to screwing up the labor market, more to this massive reserve of the unemployed by interfering with the natural clearing of the markets. But with any kind of competition like that, people would not want to work in those places. And labor unions, as long as they're not in bed with the government, I'm totally in favor of skilled workers organizing freely to get some concessions and stuff like... um, uh, super fund, uh, environmental problems. I'll, I'll tell you how the government itself created a lot of the environmental problems we have by violating these basic laws of liberty. I'll tell you that after the break. Uh, you can also, anybody who wants to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It is going to be hot tomorrow. High 93, also humid. Stay tuned to WSB because things are changing. Scattered storms, some severe weather. 
Uh, the weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. And I am going to go real quick to Brett and Bold Springs. Brett, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hey, I just want to say something real quick. I always assert that everybody's a libertarian and they just don't know it. Um, last week, I uh, administered the world's smallest political quiz to five people that consider themselves Christian Republican conservatives. And every one of them except one came out 100% libertarian on the test. And the other one was 90% because she wasn't sure about the war on drugs. And so, you know, people that are libertarians, I always, you know, I say talk to people about libertarianism because you, you should have seen the reactions. They were like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, I fit into this category. I thought it was this. But most people don't put thought into it. And then when you ask them questions, you know, they find out they're really for liberty. I've heard that on this show. You've heard people call and say that, uh-huh. that they just didn't know. Yeah, and I think that's really important, you know, to spread the idea of libertarianism to people, is to, to get them to think about why they hold the positions that they do. And, and if you question them on it, you know, they end up realizing they're actually for liberty. And these are people that are, and, and not to make fun of them, but they're Bible-thumping conservatives. And, well, you know, there was there was a period before, like Irving Kristol and the neoconservative crowd intentionally, expressly hijacked the religious movement in the country. They actually did it. It was a very political move. In his own words, I have it in writing. And before that, I think there were large groups of uh, Christians who their churches said, "Don't vote. Do not get involved in that." Which I don't understand entirely the rationale. But there, it doesn't go hand in hand that you need to pivot to legislating on social issues just because you live that way. As one person posted on my Facebook page, the essence of Christ's message is free will, freely doing these things, voluntarily uh, addressing uh, or living by the laws. And I think three or four billion people in the world consider themselves religious. And that involves personal behavior rather than legislating behavior. Uh, more to come. I forgot to answer that um, Bill's question about environmentalism. I am going to get to that next. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6, and we're talking about libertarianism itself. Normally, I talk about current events in the context of libertarian principles, but I never really get to lay out the libertarian principles. So I've done that. You can, um, uh, I, I always throw it out there in a nutshell, which is libertarians believe in fiscal conservatism, that is, small government. Civil liberties, you can't force people through laws to uh, follow your social mores. As Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, said, always persuasion, never coercion. And uh, the third thing is you can never have a preemptive war. You can never have a war of aggression. Wars have to be fought purely for defensive reasons only. But there's a lot of nuance to this and a lot of objections people make, a lot of questions they have about it. I'm open to all of them, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. 
And there, I also want to point out that there are many kinds of libertarians, many, many. I had Nick wrote to me and said, there are five schools of libertarianism you should talk about. I'm only going to make this one distinction. I'm not going to talk about five different schools. There are minarchists, minimum government, archy, arc, whatever is government. Min, minarchists say the federal government can exist, but only to resolve disputes. Uh, maybe the Supreme Court would even just resolve disputes among the states. There is a way to read the, even our Constitution that way. Uh, but resolve disputes and also provide security. On the federal level, it would be national defense. On the local level, personal defense. Those are minarchists, but I am an anarcho-capitalist. I think that uh, the modern state, which has coercive monopoly government, it's all force and you cannot opt out of it and you give them the power to tax, that they will always be insanely dangerous, much more dangerous than uh, personal security issues you might have. There's a book, I think it's called Democide, or that's what it's the nickname for it is. And it talks about the hundreds of millions of people who were killed, not in wars last century, though there were, but by their own governments. They call it democide. And that's what it that's a, a big, big problem. It's a real problem. I want to get into that. But I there was a before the break, there was a caller, Bill, who said he worked on Superfund sites, that environmentalism needs federal oversight. And I would just point to a couple of things that uh, provide an alternative way of thinking of it. There in the 19th century, I believe it was 19th century, in the early, uh, or the peak maybe of the Industrial Revolution, there were people who sued factories for spewing ash onto their property. They went to the government, and at first they won in the courts. Then the government made a general policy that industrialization was too important, and they were going to suspend the private personal rights of individuals to not have ash spewed on their property. And thus, environmental pollution was born by a policy of government. And if you look at China, China has a, a huge government. All is government in China. And they have the worst pollution problem that ever existed on the face of the earth, if I understand it correctly. So uh, government isn't really the is more often, in my opinion, the cause than the solution of these problems. So I'm going to uh, keep on going with some calls. I'm going to Don and Marietta. Don, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Love your show. Thank you. Uh, I have voted libertarian every chance I get. I just don't see that many on the ballot. And the reason that I do that is because I just really enjoy the major form that, that they are in the, in the two-party system that exists on party and with our money. And I, I think I really, my, my point is, is the only way that we're really going to get any change is if we take the money out of it, because it's not about being a good leader it's how good, or, or how good of a leader you are. It's how much money you can raise for your party to even get your name on the ballot. Now, until we change the basic way we do that, we're not going to do any effective change. I mean, libertarianism is great, and I and every time I see a libertarian candidate on a ballot, I check that. But, Don, let's talk about the Ron Paul experience, particularly 
was it both 08 and 2012 where he raised tons of money he had money bombs um uh, it was a real grassroots kind of thing but he he got the most money raised from people in the military and it wasn't that he wasn't getting his message out it seemed to me but that on Fox News or whatever, the Republicans, Karl Rove and Dick Morris in particular, I don't know if Dick Morris calls himself Republican, but he was a Fox News correspondent. They were saying stuff like, don't vote for Ron Paul, vote for Ron Paul's vote for Obama. They were going out of their way and even like some funny business in the Republican primaries that put Ron Paul down. I feel like I feel like there's we could actually overcome the financial problem if we could overcome that it's fixed from the inside day one. Oh, and I believe it right there with you. And my solution would be, if you want to contribute to the presidential election, all the money goes into one big pot, and they divide it up between the candidates. Now, if you're really interested in, in good government, then that would be the same on federal and state and local level. Don't contribute to a candidate, but to, a, but to an election. And, and I mean... I think they do that in some other countries, don't they? Isn't that maybe England or Germany, how they do it? Well, I, I, I couldn't see any other way, I mean, uh, of doing it. I mean, maybe you could have a voting channel on TV. You have enough people vote for American Idol every year. I mean, it's almost... Yeah, you know, it's, that's a good point. Well, I'll give you I'll give you my thoughts on this. I, I, I think that there are places where they have that kind of thing, and still... They have terrible, <laughs> terrible forms of government that I would not like. I would not like to live in England or Germany for that. I also, I think that the absolute biggest problem with the voting, though, is the electronic nature of it. I was, um, Garland Favrito, who does Voter GA, you can look at his website. I think it's VoterGA.org. For a while, and I think it's his main thing, is he looks at voter fraud and election fraud and issues like that. I really respect uh, his efforts in that regard. And some of the stuff I was educating myself from his website on is this idea that you cannot have a fair vote if it's electronic. What you actually need is... Uh, to see the ballots, to see the names colored in, to put it in the box, and to stand there with the lights on till voting is over and you see those things counted. Those boxes should never leave your site as a guy who voted. And I think they have made big strides towards that in Germany. However, I still look and the, at, at the German system and I think democracy is not really my goal. Getting people to vote is not really my goal. If you don't support, if you don't actually live and die by the objective law, which our American experiment, we think that, uh, or we're told that we we consent to it because it's a representative republic with a democratic process. But the idea is that there is the rule of law, there is objective law, and our representatives are supposed to uh, legislate within that framework or execute it at the presidential level, but they're not supposed to violate the basic tenets, even if everybody voted for it, even if the majority voted to take everything they could from the minority, we are supposed to be protected from that. And that's why I don't really like democracy because, or the or this idea that democracy will work. A lot of what I call neo-socialists, anti-globalists, austerity, anti-austerity people, like in Europe and stuff, always give this call to democracy. We need to return the power to the people. But my 
opinion, my observation is that government, no matter how it's set up, no matter what it pretends to be, representative, democratic, whatever, it will never answer to a bunch of people who can't give back to it. And by it, I mean those in power. What do those in power do? What you were just saying, they respond to their own incentives. If that's raising money for campaign purposes to get reelected, to get whatever kind of perks they get on the job or enrichment or power or glamour or rubbing elbows with movie stars, whatever it is they get out of it, those people in government, they respond to the people outside of government that can give them something back, which is why you have this cronyism. And I want to talk a little bit about how the crony system distracts people from the fact that capitalism in a free market is not what we have, that that libertarians are not defending a corporate overreach. We're defending laissez-faire capitalism, and people don't focus on that enough. So I am going to get to that probably at the top of the hour. Right now I'm going to go to Joe in Locust Grove. Hi, Joe. You're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? All right. Uh, you know, um, I mean, my heart goes out for libertarians. It really does. Uh, Now, I am a charismatic person. I I don't want to see people starve. I don't want to see people hurt. But, uh, you know, there's a big thing out here about education, about how these students out here, uh, college students, how they're overburdened in debt. No doubt they are. They should have known that before they even signed the dotted line. But uh, this is my, this is my, just an idea. Uh, you know, all these entitlement programs we have. Now, people work, pay their Social Security, to where they have it one day, retired. Well, it's supposed to be a supplement, really. And uh, then uh, you've got Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Social Security, all that going broke. I can't understand why anybody hadn't come up with an idea where if you combine all those entitlements or all those uh, benefits where you get to a certain age, you're going to have to put a smart person over it in charge. And it's going to have to be, and I'll say this, Monica, it's going to have to be ruled with blunt force, almost like the IRS. If people want all this stuff, they're going to have to pay for it. Quit going back to the taxpayers, because the very ones that benefit and want it, they don't want to pay for it. Well, that's what, that actually brings me to my original or my overarching theme, which is, what you're talking about is insurance. You pay for insurance. An annuity is pays you in old age. Uh, the insurance, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, these are all insurance policies. And there is no place in the libertarian system for insurance policies uh, being forced upon us by the government. You should be able to opt out of that stuff. But uh, that's, I would say, the very fundamental difference between people who think of government as a protective entity and people who think of government as a benevolent entity. Uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit more. I'm going to have some... Uh, insight into these issues that I got from reading Patrick Henry's speech at the Constitutional Convention. I won't read much of it, just a sentence or two coming up, but I want to, I think Patrick Henry was the uh, quintessential libertarian. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. The temperature is going down. It's 76 outside the studio, but man, is it humid outside. 
Uh, things are changing fast with this crazy summer weather. The weekend weather on WSB is brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. And I'm getting into all of these issues of libertarianism. I'm starting to dig a little deeper, but I wanted to share with you a speech, uh, just a, one line from a speech I read in my looking around for, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit later about my libertarian epiphany, my aha moment. And my in that journey, I was trying to figure out when the American experiment really started to fail. And sometimes I get all the way back to when the Articles of Confederation was replaced by the Constitution with its ability to tax and all that, which was not in the original Confederation documents. So I was reading about the Constitutional Convention and Patrick Henry was there and he was the anti-federalist. He did not want what he called a consolidated government. He said it was replacing the Confederation that the American Revolution fought to establish. And he, a couple of the things he, he said, if you, this, it will give Congress a standing army, standing army and the ability for direct taxation. He says, quote, what resistance then could be made to the consolidated government? Any attempt would be madness. You will find all the strength of this country in the hands of your enemies. And by enemies, he meant Congress and the federal government. Isn't that crazy? Well, uh, I'm going to get into the question of um, Rand Paul, if he's really libertarian or if he's the controlled opposition. That's Those are fighting words. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.